All right, welcome back. This is a Makers Podcast, episode 23. And today is going to be a good one. I've got Dylan with Woodbrew joining us a little later. And we have a special announcement that we're going to share with you. So be sure to stick around all the way to the end. All right, so before we get started, I want to talk about the sponsor for today, which is FilterBuy. Uh, FilterBuy is been on board with me for several episodes just like i mentioned last episode even some of my youtube videos um, so i want to just briefly talk about them for a second you can save five percent by subscribing to their subscription service and basically what i mean is they will send you filters for your home every month every three months every six months whatever you want without you having to remember to change them out so the filters show up and then you just change them and that's it and if you or your family or or if they are anything like my family, they suffer from allergies. And so changing the filters on time, every time, makes a huge difference. And so if that's something you're interested in, you can learn more about FilterBuy at FilterBuy.com or at the link in the show notes. Okay, so the current state of the shop, real quick, before we get into today's discussion, uh, the current project I've got going on right now is recording a patio tour now i've got several projects that i've done over uh through the winter and through the spring for this moment right here so i've been doing all this ahead of time in hopes to have this patio complete before the summer so i can give you guys some ideas on different projects to do or uh, inspire and, and, and motivate uh, some of the viewers and listeners and so I've got plenty of projects to go over. And so this whole patio tour, I'm just going to just kind of show each project, kind of just give a little, a little highlight reel of what went into that project as far as building it, if there's a plan attached to it, uh, and then just kind of show some of the things that I didn't cover in some of the builds. And there's a couple of projects out there that I didn't even do a video on. Uh, so I want to be able to show those as well and just showcase the whole thing. Uh, just really turned out better than I expected. Uh, and just the main thing I was after out there was just a really cool space to hang out. Uh, and I think I achieved that. Me and my family, we like it. And so um, we've been enjoying it. And so that's really all that matters. Uh, but hopefully you guys will get some good ideas uh, and take it to your patio this summer and just kind of jazz things up. So that's what's going on now. Now, a past project is part of what I just mentioned. So the most recent project that I just released uh, is the Patio Pergola. And now that project was sponsored by Craftsman. Um, and that thing was absolute, a, it was a beast to build. It was so awesome uh, when I got done with it. But there were a lot of long boards and some six by six post and there was all there was a lot of just i had to really get involved with that build especially doing it by myself uh and in the plans that i that i have for that i mentioned that it, i really think it's a two-person project uh but i did it by myself and i think you can do it uh even say that in the youtube video uh so if that's something that you're interested in check that out i have links to all that below as well now some side projects that i've got going on is actually some projects that I'm doing on the CNC with the Inventables X-Carve. And I'm going to be creating a couple of different things for uh, around the table saw area. One of the things being a support arm to hold up my 
dust collection hose. I don't know if you saw one of the videos that I put out recently. I can't even remember which one it was, to be honest. Uh, but I show, oh, I know what it was. It was the, the dust collection video uh, with a, with a cyclone that I installed from Clearview. One of the hoses comes over the table saw and it's kind of pulling the shark guard, uh, the four inch, four inch, uh, port for the shark guard on, on the table saw, the over, uh, over the blade dust collection. It's kind of pulling that to the side a little bit. And so that dust hose is sagging and that's what's pulling it. So I want to create a, an arm to hold that up out of the way. And so it doesn't pull that, that guard over. And so it keeps it nice and straight. Uh, another project that I'm doing on the CNC is to, is to make a, a little tray. There's about four and a half, five inches of wasted space on my new table saw. I've got a saw stop now and there's once I, it's, a, it's the three foot fence. And so when I move the fence all the way over to three feet, uh, from the blade, 36 inches from the blade, there's about four and a half, five inches left to the right of the table, um, that I could be utilizing. Now, I could just leave like my tape measure and a few clamps or whatever just laying there on the table but there's no lip there and sometimes some of that stuff gets knocked off so i want to create a little side tray that moves with the fence and that way no matter where i've got the fence i've got my push stick right there at an arm's reach i've got my table my tape measure there whatever i need wherever depending on where the fence is it's right there with the fence and i don't have to like reach over or you know risk it falling off uh, you know, whatever. So those are some of the side projects that I've got going on. I will be doing a video on those, but it will be more into the month of May. Uh, so be looking for those. Now, some upcoming projects, and you may have heard me listen or mention these, uh, but these are three, two of these are outdoor projects uh, that I hope to have done pretty pretty soon. I mentioned doing the anatic conversion last episode. That's still uh, on the horizon. But here, here, here are three more projects that I hope to get done um, fairly soon with, you know, within a few months anyway. One being a lean-to shed on the back of my shop just to get a bunch of junk out of the garage and, and that area. Uh, also, I'm doing some landscaping around the house and I'm having a hard time figuring out how I can incorporate this into my content because this is something that's going to require time of me to complete. Uh, but also I want to record this process, um, and, and show what I do. So I may incorporate like the shutters that I did and the, the changing out the columns on the front of the house. Those are some of, some of the projects that I've already done that I can refer back to, uh, and just kind of show how everything will dress up the house and kind of give you more curb appeal, uh, for your home. So I may just go that route and play it in that direction. So we'll see how that turns out. Also a third project there that's coming up later on is a dining table. Now I've mentioned this before, uh, but I'm getting really close to doing this. And I'm one thing I'm, I'm trying to decide on is if I want to turn my legs or if I want to go a different route, uh, you know, whether that be buying them or just going with, um, you know, just a, a simple, uh, post for those table legs. I haven't really decided what I want to do there. I haven't designed the table yet. So, but I know that I do want to build a, a, a new dining table. So that's that. That's the projects, the current state of the shop. So now let's talk about today's topic of discussion. 
All right, so today's topic of discussion, we're talking about making a living, doing what you love. And today I've got Dylan with Woodbrew with me. What's up, Dylan? Nothing much. Just uh, got back in town from Atlanta. Been working on this media center that's behind me. Oh, well, nice. Molly has been. Oh, I, saw, I saw the posting about that. Yeah. Molly's the other half of Woodbrew, and this is uh, her first major project by herself, and it turned out super, super good. So I bet she's so pumped. Huh? It. Yeah, we're actually. I think we're going to release the video right after we get off the podcast. So cool. if you'll, it'll already be out if you're listening to this. Nice. So yeah, I think Dylan, you're you're probably the first like person on my podcast that kind of did an interview with. It's always just been me. Uh so you're the first man. Uh-oh. Yeah. So no pressure. Let's just talk about uh and the way I like to do my podcast, just kind of conversation. Uh so let's just talk about what it's like to make a living doing what we, what we love. And I know we come from you know, two from opposite ends of the spectrum, so to speak, as to, you know, how we got here and the, and the way we work and all that stuff. So this will be really good for some of the guys listening and gals listening to listening to this. Um, so let's just drop some value bombs on them. Okay. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> um, just kind of introducing, and I've talked about this before with uh, just on the podcast from time to time. And also, I made a video about this. It's called I Quit My Job to Be a Woodworker, and I just kind of told my story. Uh, but this all started for me as just a hobby um, with my kids and just kind of a place to escape. And then I just started recording, and then it was the the monetizing and you know business stuff later. But I didn't even realize that this was a thing. Did you when you guys started? Yes. So. I think the easiest thing for me to do is just back up and I'll tell you the whole story of how it started. Um, So I'm, first of all, I'm 22 years old. I know that's going to be the number one question. (laughs) 22. That's what I always get. How old are you? Um, So anyway, I grew up building stuff. In fact, I was on YouTube making stuff when I was probably like 10 or 12. Oh, wow. And I was doing a lot of electronics projects and that's kind of how I got into woodworking was I needed things to build enclosures for. And so I had to start woodworking. My dad had all the basic tools that I needed. So that's kind of how I got started. He's pretty amazing in the sense that he can build pretty much anything as well. So I had great teaching, you know, from the beginning of, you know, how to use tools and things like that. But yeah, so I knew about YouTube and knew that there was potential for YouTube when I was really just a kid. And that was from watching a channel called Ben Heck, and he makes all kinds of different electronics projects. And I feel like he was probably, had been one of the first YouTubers doing really well on the platform and looking at it as a business perspective. And so I have these really, really cringy videos from when I was making projects back then. But then fast forward a handful of years and I, you know, only did that for a brief period of time. I was in high school. I met Molly my sophomore year. We started dating. Then throughout high school, kind of where your typical high schoolers uh, had plans to go to big universities, um, really just, I, I guess, you know, following the normal path, you could say. 
And then right after high school, we went to a community college where we were studying graphic design and we needed some extra money. So we started refinishing furniture on the side. So we, and that's that basically started because we found a coffee table on the side of the road. And I was like, Hey, we could pick that coffee table up and, you know, paint it and resell it. Yeah. And so we started doing that. We, we opened this little refinishing business kind of thing. Uh, we had like a storage unit that we just filled up with, with furniture that now, we were refinishing. Now, how old were you at this point? Uh, had to have been like, like 18, and I so guess. 18 and you've got a business. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I just had to. Um, yeah, we had to have been like 18, something like that, which I actually, I was, I was selling things. I was making it as early as 10. It wasn't like any sort of formalized business, right. but I, one of the things that I made when I was 10, which is what I sold a couple times was a one handed Xbox controller. So I had this, which Ben heck it's like, it's originally his idea and that's where I got, you know, the whole idea from, but I made one just for the fun of it and then had a, a retired Marine who had lost his arm, um, overseas he wanted me to make him a controller so i made him one and then i made a couple other people one that's cool man yeah and so that's how i that was my intro to business and selling things now how did he know about you through youtube yeah through youtube okay all right yeah so i posted about the one that i made um yeah i posted about the one i made at first and i had like a cast on my arm so it did make sense for me to make it um and then I had a bunch of people ask for them. So I was making like custom Xbox controllers and uh, making portable Xbox systems and all these like random electronics projects, mostly around video games because I was super into video games at the time. And so, yeah, fast forward back to we're refinishing furniture, making like zero money, to be honest. Like <laughs> we're making like no money. We'd, we'd make a little bit of money and just go buy 50 pieces of furniture. And so we're just like refilling inventory basically, <laughs> but it, it was a good introduction to it. And it got us uh, through that summer and had some money to play around with during the summer. And we were pretty unhappy at school at the time. We were just like, it just felt very slow and everything that we were learning we felt we could learn five times faster on our own if we hadn't already learned it or knew about it because graphic design is, you know, all program based and the majority of it is, you know, basically just learning how to use a program. And then there's very few classes, which that are, that were about actual design concepts or we just had not gotten there yet. And so it was kind of just like this really boring thing to us and, and we decided, you know, maybe we could start a furniture business and start building furniture. And so we sold every single thing that we had uh, refinished furniture wise. We closed up shop at that. It was like a flea market sort of thing in a storage unit. And we took the, I think it was probably, it was definitely less than a thousand dollars, but I think it was probably like 700 bucks we had. And we signed a lease on a building that cost all of that money. In fact, we couldn't even put a deposit down. 
we had to tell the guy that we couldn't, you know, we'd have to pay the deposit later because we could only afford to pay the first month's rent. And we, we got the place. And I think that's on our Instagram. If you scroll way, way down is us getting our first like woodworking shop. Cool. And that's where we transitioned from. So we transitioned from building furniture for clients nonstop into posting about it on social media and realizing the opportunity and kind of reliving my youth of, of dreams of being a, a YouTuber. And we decided like one day that we were just going to do that and we were going to make that our business full-time social media content creators, whatever you want to call it. And so, yeah, it was very deliberate for us, um, but we came from building custom furniture. But even from a young age, you were, you were making things or doing things that you like to do, but also making money with that. Yeah. I mean, that's always our outlook has been that, or especially mine, as I just want to monetize every part of my life. That's always been an idea I've had growing up. So for instance, one of the things early on when I was young was Mardi Gras is in our area, which is not in other areas of the country that I'm aware of. So I had this very, very niche business opportunity here <laughs> of collecting beads and reselling them to people. So all my all my aunts and uncles, they were all in Mardi Gras and had floats and everything like that. And it's very, very expensive to do all of that. And so I would go to Mardi Gras, which the rest of my family is going, but I'd just fill up bags of beads. And then I would also like take everyone's beads in or I'd buy beads from other people <laughs> and I'd repackage them and then I'd sell them the next year. So I'd hold on to them for a whole year. And then the next year I would sell them. And I did that for probably three years. I would make several hundred dollars off of that each year. So it was, I would resell, I don't remember what I was selling them for, but I, I remember making a substantial amount of money for how young I was that is doing cool. that. That is cool. Everybody's having fun. You're on a business trip. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my only goal is the beads. That's awesome, so, man. So that, I've, that's how I've always thought about things is like, how can I monetize what I'm already doing in my life or that I already enjoy doing? Um, and that's always been kind of the idea. Yeah. And for me, it just took me half a lifetime to figure that out. That's basically what it seemed like to me, you know, so I worked a a full-time job for nearly 20 years before I decided to make that jump into a, you know, doing this full-time. And when I say this, I mean, content creation, I never, you know, built furniture to sell, or I never did, I never took orders or did commission uh, work. So it was always content creation for me. Um, but it took me a long time to figure out that that I I could actually do this, you know, do yep. something I love to do and actually make money. Um, and you know that that brings up an important point though, like knowing when to jump full time. For you, it sounds like it was just that was always the case. Yeah, right? I mean, so I, I've only worked for one person in my entire life, and I, even then, I was technically a contract worker. So I was building furniture with somebody that had like a custom furniture business. It was like a rustic furniture thing. And that was, that was when we first went to college. So kind of backing up a little bit when we first went into college, um, 
I was doing that right out of high school. And then I think that lasted maybe six, eight months. And then during that, we started the whole furniture restoration thing. And then I just left that to when we started our own shop. Um, but like, I, I have to give a lot of credit to my dad for me figuring this out early because he has lived the whole uh, life of just being in the same sort of career path and providing for his family, which is very honorable. And I wouldn't take anything away from that, but he's expressed to me over the years of, you know, don't fall into that path numerous times just because of, you know, a guaranteed, which is not guaranteed amount of income, you know, that you're going to receive. Cause there was a time in my life where I was like, I don't really want to go to college. I'd rather just, he works at a, a chemical plant. And I was like, I could just work at a chemical plant make hundred thousand dollars a year and life would be easy and just, you know, going. And he, I remember a point where he specifically was like, no, you're not going to do that. Like you are 100% not going to do that. And so I do have to give a lot of credit to him for me realizing that pretty early on. Yeah. And, and, and you brought up a good point to providing for your family, um, which that was in my whole full-time career for the nearly 20 years that I spoke about, that was my main reason. Even though I didn't like what I did, I knew that I had to provide for my family. And at the time that I went from working there to doing content creation full-time, I had three kids. And so I had a, a huge decision on my shoulders and it was just like, what do I do? Um, and, and truth be told, I probably jumped a little too soon, but I made it work and it was a lot of hard work, but I, I enjoyed that a lot more working twice as hard, you know, not, phys oh, yeah. not physically, but I mean, I, there was a lot of moving parts to making content creation, my full-time gig, right? Um, but I enjoyed that 10 times over more than I did working for the company, just drawing a check every, every two weeks or whatever it was. Um, and I, and I gotta, I have to feel like it has to translate, which I don't have experience in this, but I feel like it has to translate back into, into the relationships you have with your family, you being happier doing what you're doing, even though you may make less money. I feel like it's you being happier has got to translate into a better overall Absolutely. Um, yeah. Life one, or household or anything like that. 100%. You know? Like there was a lot of times I'd come home from work in my old job and being on call was not fun, but that was part of it. But I would get called back out. I'd be ill. I've been working all day. Um, and it was just the whole, it was the whole thing. Just, I didn't like what I did. And then when I made the jump to doing this, well, obviously you can work from anywhere. So I'm working from home. And, mm -hmm. you know, my wife is part-time, so I'm seeing more of her and more of my kids. And yeah, so it just makes for a happier life. I'm not saying that's the case for everybody, but for me personally, that was the case. And yeah. so that just made the decision that much easier for me. Um, but, you know, there was, a there was still a lot of things that I did not know when I said I, I probably jumped a little bit too soon. I just... I got antsy, you know, and just said, I want to yeah. do this and just took a risk and it paid off, but you figure it out. You know, you, you surround yourself with the people that are in the same uh, circles and you get by and, and it's worked out so far. I think that mindset is what it takes though, to make it work. You know, I think that there's you taking that risk because it was such a large risk 
probably also motivated you to work even harder to make sure it did work. Yeah. You know, for us, like we had, I'll speak to that and because this has definitely happened to us. We've never had a major risk jumping into this. You know, we're, we kind of had to us, it's not really that big of a decision, but I think for a lot of people it would be, but we did quit college. That was, I guess the biggest decision we've had to make, but for the longest time we were still living with our parents. Um, all of our bills for the most part were being paid. Um, we didn't have much to worry about. So there wasn't a whole lot of overhead for us. So the idea of it wasn't too difficult, but because of that, I think, um, after our first year of doing content creation, there was like this lull of where we didn't create as much content because we had a whole lot less of obligations and I kind of wish I could go back to that point and be like, yo, if you would have been working as hard as you were at the beginning, you know, you could potentially be a lot further than you are now. And it's taken, it took like a full year for us to like kick back into gear almost. Yeah. And I think, you know, I listened to several podcasts, uh, Pat Flynn being one of them was smart passive income, but you know, a lot of people will fall out of or trying to do this, you know, for a living or uh, full time, but then never pursue it beyond say six months or so because it's not working out. Yeah. You know, I think it, I think there's a lot of hard work and there's a, there's a, you gotta be patient. You're right. hundred percent. But I hate, I hate saying that we've had no problems or had anything like that. And it's been easy for us. I mean, obviously I think we have a little bit of a, a leg ahead because of the fact that we're young and we're a couple. I don't, I just want to acknowledge the fact that I realize that, but at the same time, it takes an insane amount of work to keep, keep that up. Well, I mean, I've, I've said it in my head a hundred times. If I didn't have kids or if I weren't married, man, I could yeah. just, I could be killing it right now. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that's the case, but I'm just saying like, everybody has their own responsibilities, their own things they have to take care of. And, you know, I, I don't, I think no matter where you are in life, you're going to have obstacles. You're going to have, um, challenges, challenges ahead of you to make it work. Um, and just talking about like the journey from, you know, from being a hobbyist going full time to, you know, getting in that place to where you feel comfortable making or you know, content creation. There's some folks out here and I'll, I'll have to stop and say this, that I realize there's some people that listen um, to my podcast here, this podcast that are not necessarily in content creation. Maybe they have their own physical business where they do make woodworking products. And I don't have a lot of input on that type of business because that's not what I'm in. But I think there's a lot of crossover between hard work, being patient, uh, just good business practices and that kind of thing. Um, and even making the jump from one job to another. Uh, so, but the journey, yeah, yeah, but you know, the journey is everybody's different. Your journey is different than my journey from where you are now to from where you started. Um, I think I'm still getting there. I haven't made, I haven't gotten to the point where I want to be yet. Would you oh, say the same thing? Sure. Oh yeah. I mean, definitely. And honestly, I thought we would be, so when we first started, it took a year for us to get any sort of footing. Like if, if you looked at our entire time we've been on YouTube, the analytics, 
it basically was a year where the little blips are almost where you can't even see them. And then all of a sudden, uh, a year later, a year into it, we had one one little blip that went up. And that was one video that did better than what we've been doing. And from ever since then, it's just been a steady rise of, I guess, the median. So, And it, it just shows you how there's exponential growth in what we do. So as soon as you get something to work for you, your kind of average content level will sometimes go up a bit and then you'll get another bloop and it'll go up just a little bit more. And that's what I've seen over the last three years of us doing this is like, it was, it was a year before we had any sort of traction. We got traction. We kind of, uh, stopped producing as much content as we should have halfway through that second year. We went down a little bit and less in viewership. And then all of a sudden we did this, like, I could be saying this out of order, but we did this crazy, like 30 day challenge where we posted a video every single day. And that, which was the biggest relationship tester, the like probably one of the worst slash best decisions we've made. (laughs) It was so hard, but that like really kicked us in the gear. There was a moment where we were just like, you know, this has been taking forever. Like we're not making any money on this, like no money. This is not happening. And we did that challenge and that kind of kicked us up to a level to where we are making enough income to where we were like at least excited to, to really go after it even more at that point. And then it's just been that way ever since it's just been this like tiny little ticks. Yeah. I think the key there though, is the consistency, whether that's a video every day, a video every week, a video every two weeks, Whatever that looks like, I think consistency and, and the more I think the more you spread that out, the longer it's going to take you. Yeah. If honestly, the more content you put out, I think the faster you're going to grow. I think that's like a very generalized statement. But if you're looking to, if you're looking to quote unquote explode, you either need to get really lucky or you need to pump out a lot of content. And obviously the content needs to be good. Like it can't just be like a bunch of random stuff. But, and and you know, one thing too, that I had to stop myself and and be aware of is just falling into the comparison trap, Mm -hmm. you know, keeping up with the demands or, you know, Oh, this, this person's doing this. I've got to do that. You know, he, he or she is growing at this rate. I'm not, I'm not doing something wrong. I'm I'm doing something wrong. I'm just going to quit. You know, I think the comparison trap will get you in trouble. Um, and that's probably one of the most, most dangerous things I think in this type of business is to do that. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. A hundred percent. We had Molly and I had this long discussion at the beginning of this year, actually about that because we had just seen this, like this kind of decline over the last six months in, in viewership and things like that. And it was because we ultimately came to the decision or not the decision, but the consensus of that. We, we were kind of trying to do something that we were, we hadn't been doing in the past because whether it was actually following, you know, other people, or it was just subconsciously like seeing other people doing things successful. And I was trying to kind of replicate that. It was very like a very small thing, but what got us back on track was realizing that, you know, where we started and like the content that 
that our audience really enjoys and and kind of where we should be like when we're making content that we really enjoy making and less of like trying to follow a trend or something like that that those videos actually perform a lot better because what matters what matters is is that how your subscribers view content and less about how the general public sees your content like one of the big things that youtube does immediately is they see the the first analytic they're going to look at to decide whether your content gets promoted first is how are your current subscribers reacting to this video? Because that's the first people that are going to see it. So are they actually clicking on it or are they not interested? Because if they're not interested, the people we'd be promoting this to, they're not going to be interested either. Yeah, I think there's a lot that plays into that. You know, they yeah. thumbnails, whatever. Um, yeah, there is. But yeah. that's like a very broad. Right, yeah. I totally get what you're saying. Um but you know, just just kind of carrying the conversation even further. You know, you don't you don't have to be on that grand scale, right? You don't have to be. I mean, I'm not. I, I don't have you know a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube or fifty thousand on Instagram. You know, I mean, neither one of us are. And I can correct me if I'm wrong, but neither one of us are considered like a, a, a huge YouTuber or a huge Instagrammer, right? No, absolutely not. And, and I think um, in my recent WorkbenchCon trip that I went to in Atlanta, uh, I sat in on a panel with um, Callhart. And, and I've heard this term that I'm fixing to tell you before. I've heard it before with other, other brands, other creators. I mean, it's been out there. But micro-influencing is a thing. It's massive. It's yeah. the future of influencer marketing. So I don't, I think a lot of people get caught up in that trap. Oh, I've got to be this huge YouTuber. I've got to be this huge Instagrammer. And if they're, if they've got just a few thousand subscribers or followers, they think, oh, I don't have a chance. Uh, I'm being swallowed up. And that's not the case. No, it's not at all. I've, I've sat in on many of panels with some of the leading uh, agencies in our industry. And the word that I commonly hear over and over is micro influencers. And because nowadays companies are starting to use influencer marketing so much that there's a lot of people who've grown to this, you know, massive scale to a point to where they're, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on content. Some of these brands are for a single post on a YouTube channel or something, just insane amounts of money and taking these massive risks on one piece of content when they could have taken that $100,000 and they could have split it up between a thousand micro influencers. And that out of that thousand, the likelihood of one of those videos doing better than average is extremely high. So their ROI on that is actually far better. And they're able to look at the individual market that they're, advertising to if you have a thousand followers someone could actually scroll through your followers and see who exactly they're actually marketing to whereas someone that's got half a million it's gonna be very difficult to decide how much of that half a million followers are truly their genuine target audience so it's extremely valuable and a lot of companies are starting to shift Maybe not shift completely, but starting to shift a lot of their funds to that micro-influencer side. So I'm seeing it across the board 
of a lot of companies running these campaigns with a ton of micro influencers instead of just one or two yeah. mega influencers. I've seen it. I've seen it a lot lately, which is good news for me. Good news for you. But it's also even good news for people that are wanting to, you know, even monetize their hobby or even take a, you know, take a, a, a full-time, uh, stab at making content creation for a living that don't don't really have a lot of followers or subscribers you know yeah so, absolutely i mean, I, mean I don't want to say that these mega influencers that you shouldn't want to be at their level that you should try to stay as small as possible that that's kind of dumb yeah that i mean that's a ridiculous statement because they obviously still provide an insane amount of value but but the whole point of what we're talking about is realizing that even as a micro influencer, you still have a lot of value to these companies and that you still can monetize what it is that you're doing, regardless of the fact of whether you have a hundred thousand followers or a thousand followers. So, I mean, some of the smaller channels or some of the smaller uh, Instagram accounts, are probably asking, you know, well, how do I get noticed? And this is going to be a really good segue into something that we want to bring up here in the podcast, here on my podcast, that Dylan and I are going to be doing a podcast together. Um, and we're going to be, in just a second, we'll tell you how to be, you know, to sign up to where you can be notified when we actually kick this thing off and start talking about this. But we're going to be talking about being a micro-influencer or being a micro-maker. And I think it's going to be really, really good because number one, I wish there was something and I'm sure there was, but there was not really people telling me how to succeed when I was first starting out. You know, it was like, Oh, he is just starting out. I don't have time for him. You know, there were, there were a couple of really good people, key people that helped me get my business off the ground and they, they know who they are. And I appreciate them very, very much. Um, but I think with something like a podcast, you know, kind of coach people along uh, that are just starting out with it, those few followers, those few subs, and just, you know, and providing them value. And, and the big thing to keep in mind with what we're going to do on this podcast is that we're not going to just focus on how to grow your audience because Sean and I believe that your audience size, again, doesn't really dictate how well you can monetize your content. So we're going to be giving you a lot more ideas of ways to monetize your content that doesn't rely solely on your audience size and can generate you a lot more income and maybe even make you be able to go full-time even faster because a big misconception is, is what we've been talking and hitting on is that your audience size really doesn't dictate the success of your content on platforms and then also the success of your content as far as generating revenue goes. Because, for instance, Sean and I both do plan sales. Uh, we're doing, you know, providing content to brands outside of just promotion. We're doing a lot of other things that generate us income that aren't reliant on the fact of our of our the size of our audience. Yeah, we're walking so proof. Yeah. It's things that have worked extremely well for both of us and we both come at it slightly different ways so I think it'll be 
a great interesting duo of you know ideas of how of how you can generate more revenue with your content and not be so reliant on the size of your audience. Yeah. So just be looking for that. I think that's going to be a really, really good show. We're going to try to, you know, bring some really good, um, just some ways that you guys can take action on to be able to, you know, help you grow and, and to do things that you wouldn't otherwise know to do basically. Um, but yeah, so we just, we want to be some, couple of average dudes sharing what we know and what's worked for us. Basically what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, so I think a great way to kind of, you know, a good example leading into this podcast would be, you know, on our end is that, you know, we were working with Rockler when we were less than a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Um, I think we were working with Home Depot before we had 10,000 followers on Instagram we're able to get a lot of these massive brands that everyone looks for and would like to work with at far lower numbers because we presented ourselves in unique ways. And so one of the things I think we're really going to be providing value in is figuring is, is showing you those unique ways that you can present yourself and appeal to these larger companies or even just get noticed because when you're really small, it's hard to be noticed so knowing the right things to say the right people to talk to and the right way to put your foot forward hopefully will help a lot of you out so you might be wondering why in the world we would actually give away all of this information and it's because you know we believe the more informed everyone in the community is the better we can all place ourselves and the more value we can add to these companies you know the the more it's going to benefit everybody in the long run. So if you're somebody who kind of quote unquote breaks through with the new company and then you get them into influencer marketing and you provide them an excellent amount of value, then you're just bringing that company on board with the rest of the community as well. And it also just gives us a way to sort of uh, really quantify how much value we are giving these brands and be able to across the board hopefully make more money from it from just being able to show, you know, as a community, the value that we're adding to all these different companies and things like that. And that's mostly just from a sponsorship standpoint. And like I said, there's lots of other ways to, to appeal to people and generate revenue, whether it's uh, through plan sales or affiliate links or other things like that. But there is a lot of gray area that people just aren't talking about when it comes to sponsors and I think we should be more open about it. So I'm all about sharing all of those golden nuggets of information because truly I think it just helps the community overall. Yeah, just being transparent. I think that yeah. that's really going to you know just help everybody be on the same page. And so I think there's a lot of trust that goes along with that too. You know, the more transparent you are, the pe- you know, people see you for who you really are and feel like they, okay, this is actually what's going on. I can, I can be a part of this. I can do that. So, and I, and to kind of touch on this whole podcast that Dylan and I are going to be doing, um, it's just going to be so much more than that. Don't discount it just because you think, Oh, another podcast. Oh gosh. And we don't need another podcast. Please don't. It's going to be a lot more than, than a podcast. Trust me. There's going to be ways that, um, you know, you guys can get involved. So, that's all I'm, all I'm going to say about that. Hopefully you guys will be on board. Um, there's going to be a link in the show notes 
you can find it in any of the descriptions or show notes um, that is a part of whether you're listening on iTunes or Google Play or is Google Play still a thing? It is, no right? Clue. Okay, I think it is. <laughs> no anyway, idea. if it's not, wherever you are, Stitcher, Spotify, um, we're going to be hopefully on all of those, but you can find the link in this podcast episode to where you can sign up to be notified when we actually kick this thing off. Um, we've already gotten started on planning this thing. It's a done deal. We're bringing it to you, so look for it. Dylan, do you have anything else? I just want to reiterate the fact that we've been working really hard on this and we're trying to put together something that's very curated Sounds great. It's to the point. You know, we're hopefully not going to waste anyone's time. Um, and it'll be something hopefully that you get a lot of information from and we can all use it as a tool to grow together. So yeah. well said. All right. Well, Dylan, thank you for coming on the show and just being open with us. And also thanks for helping me introduce the new podcast. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. See ya. See ya. Hey, before you go, make sure to subscribe to the podcast anywhere podcasts are played by searching for Stone and Sons. Also, to get notifications when I go live, follow me on Twitch and subscribe to me on YouTube. You can find all of the links below or in the description, including the show notes from today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. See ya.